Uh, hello, I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense's Bloggers Roundtable for Thursday, February 10th, 2011. My name is Petty Officer William Selby with the Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating our call today. A note to the bloggers on the line, please remember to clearly state your name and blog or organization in advance of your question. Please respect our guest time, keeping questions synced and to the point, and please keep your phone on mute if you are not asking a question. Today our guests are Navy Captain Dale Fuller, the former Amphibious Squadron the three commander of the Peleliu Amphibious Ready Group, and Marine Corps Colonel Roy Osborne, commander of the 15th Marine Expeditionary Unit for... Uh, Let's see, I'm sorry, uh, Captain Fuller and Colonel Osborne led a Navy Marine Corps team that completed a wide range of missions across the Western Pacific and the Indian Ocean. And with that, uh, sirs, um, Captain Fuller and uh, Colonel Osborne, if you have opening statements, you can go ahead with those now. Yes. Hey, uh, this is uh, Colonel Roy Ozzy Osborne, and, uh, and we've got Captain Dale Fuller and... and Captain Fuller is actually the current commander of Fibron 3, so that when you come up with the uh, Navy Marine Corps team set up here for the RMU, the Amphibious Readiness Group, and the Marine Expeditionary Unit, you wind up with two O sixes out there with a uh, about uh, 4,000 Marines and sailors and three ships. And um, for the Marine Corps side of it, I had about 2,300 Marines and sailors assigned to me. I had a uh, pretty heavy command element a uh, battalion landing team, which is my infantry side that has everything from uh, tanks, tracks, uh, artillery, and uh, riflemen in it. My uh, uh, combat logistics battalion is a logistics-heavy, uh, combat service support-heavy element that has everything from bulldozers to water makers in it. And then I have an air combat element, which is composed of uh, helicopters, uh, jets, uh, maintainers and uh, air defense, as well as communications capabilities. So, a uh, pretty broad range on the on the uh, Marine Corps side of it. Um, we are embarked aboard the amphibious readiness group uh, across the three ships, and we're task organized by ship and by mission set as a uh, aggregate three ship uh, element with the uh, Marines embarked. Uh, we perform a full range of uh, missions across the ROMO, everything from basic uh, humanitarian assistance all the way up to uh, maritime raid and uh, strike mission. And so there's a, a full set of capabilities there. I'll hand over to you okay. for the Navy for side. The, uh, for the Navy side, uh, as uh, Ozzy mentioned, we have three ships assigned and supporting uh, 15th Mew during this deployment. Um, we uh, had the USS Peleliu, and Peleliu had approximately 2,000 sailors and marines uh, embarked. Uh, we carried and supported the uh, helicopters uh, on board. Uh, along with that, uh, we had four LCU crafts, and of course, uh, uh, the other capability, uh, uh, specifically uh, the surgical capability that we bring along uh, with uh, that ship uh, by the uh, fleet uh, surgical team. <laughs> Additionally, off on the USS Dubuque, uh, one of the oldest ships in the Navy there, uh, we had approximately about 1,000 uh, Marines and, and, and sailors on her, and uh, she mainly was our maritime raid force, uh, had the, uh, as Ozzy mentioned, the uh, major com combat element on, on there of the uh, <clears throat> BLT. On uh, the USS Pearl Harbor, uh, one of our newest ships there, uh, the LSD, 
we had about approximately 650 or so uh, sailors and Marines on her, and uh, she carried uh, uh, two LCACs. I, I, I guess I didn't mention what uh, Dubuque was carrying there, but uh, she was. Uh, we had uh, helicopter uh, debt on uh, Dubuque. One LCU. Oops. <laughs> is that coming from somebody on the line, sir, or is that from your end? You might want to turn it down. So. That's, yeah. that's me. I'm sorry. I don't know how to use mute on this phone, but it'll stop soon. Roger that. And well, well before, before we go any further, uh, Maggie, I just wanted to say that uh, on behalf of my family, we really do appreciate uh, what your blog did for us. Uh, this is Kennedy. You know who I am. And I do. Thank you personally. And, and Maggie, I, I noticed on yours too that you like to run the decks of old Ironsides. Well, the Dubuque is only slightly younger than old Ironsides. Uh, the Dubuque is the third oldest ship in the Navy, and the Constitution just barely out, out pages or so. Uh, I know what running on an old ship is like. And, and I'll Thank you. just kind of give a real quick uh, overview of where we went, what we did, and then we'll get into the question side of it. Uh, we left in May. Uh, proceeded as uh, out to the uh, Western Pacific, conducted operations in uh, Timor-Leste and Indonesia, did a number of stops along the way, and then moved into 5th Fleet uh, AOR, CENTCOM AOR, and in effect conducted operations across the entire uh, theater to include operations in Africa as well. Uh, we uh, operated in 22 countries, uh, five continents. The only two places we didn't get to was South America and Antarctica. I couldn't figure out how to get down there and chase penguins around. Um, we also, on any given day, between uh, my forces and uh, Dale's forces, we were operating in seven to nine countries um, and on three continents on any given day. And for a three-ship uh, amphibious radius group with an Embark Mew on board, uh, that's about as far as you can stretch and touch in any given day. And um, we did uh, the Pakistan flood relief. We did uh, uh, OEF uh, close air support with our jets. We did the recovery of the uh, MV Star, the pirate takedown. And uh, we also provided support for the rescue persons at sea, uh, the Somali Ethiopians that uh, the Navy hosted for about 38 days. So besides that, we did a lot of training and uh, theater security cooperation events and uh, touched a lot of places, uh, but that kind of is the gist of where we were from uh, May to December of 2010. So if you have any uh, questions uh, in regard to any of those specific missions, I, I think one that uh, probably really didn't receive as much uh, publicity is uh, the uh, rescue persons at sea. I, I, I think if you recall, um, uh, back in September, uh, when the Winston Churchill uh, found a dow that had approximately 82 uh, persons uh, on her, and that dow capsized, and we were uh, Winston Churchill was able to uh, save only 62 of the 84. Um, as you know, a, a DDG cannot, you know, keep uh, 62. Uh, rescues persons uh, on board for any length of time, and uh, fortunately for us, we had the USS Pearl Harbor in the vicinity of Winston Churchill, and they were able to transfer uh, those uh, persons on board uh, the Pearl Harbor. 
what we didn't realize at the time was how long we were going to keep those folks on board. Uh, we kept them on board for over 38 days, uh, feeding them three square meals a day, held sick call daily, uh, and, you know, they, 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 we saw health improvement, uh, through their stay on board. And, uh, of course, we we're operating down in a hot climate for that length of time. We eventually were able to transfer them, uh, in November to, uh, Kenya, uh, there in Mombasa. So, uh, it was, a uh, kind of significant because the demographics of, of, of the group, we, we, we had about, uh, it was a, a mixture of, uh, Som uh, Somalis and Ethiopians. Uh, we had, uh, a mixture of women and children. I think the average age probably was between 20 to 25. The oldest gentleman was, uh, about 40 years old. Uh, two of the females were pregnant. One of the pregnancies uh, terminated while on board of the uh, Pearl Harbor. So uh, it was kind of significant, but uh, also uh, this is something that we don't train to, but it was a mission that we had to accomplish while we were out there. But you can go ahead and start questions uh, now if you have any. Roger that, sir. Uh, Maggie, you were first online, so you can go ahead with your questions. Well, first off, let me just say that I admire Captain Fuller very much, and I consider him a very important internet friend, and I can't think of many people that would have gotten me up out of my hospital bed here. Um, <laughs> so my question you just answered, I was going to ask you what you thought the most unsexy, underreported thing that happened was, and so now I have it, and um, I watched when you were very interesting too, and um, I hope you mention a little something about pirates. Because that's always a hot topic in my orbit. I, I'll tell you what, I'll pick up on that one. One of the things that, that we try to emphasize to everyone is, you know, that's truly the ARGMU is, is a Navy Marine Corps team. The execution of the mission to recover the MV Star from the pirates is a is a probably one of the best examples of the integration of Navy and the Marine Corps team. We had loaded up the Dubuque as the Maritime Raid Force platform of choice. Uh, we had a mix of the BLT uh, command element on board, which is the, gave the infantry side of it. I had my force reconnaissance platoon that was my core of my maritime raid force. Plus, I had an aviation detachment on board with four Cobras and three Hueys on board. And we had the naval special warfare boats assigned to the Dubuque. Uh, it's two 11-meter uh, naval special warfare ribs. Uh, and then I had two marine fast boats assigned there as well. That platform was probably about the most heavily armed uh, and capable for maritime raid type operations you could get. Uh, on September the 8th, uh, the mission was tasked to, uh, to go try to recover the ship. The ship had been taken by the pirates. The crew on the ship did exactly what they were supposed to do. They locked themselves into the citadel and they killed the ship. So the ship was dead in the water, the Magellan Star. Uh, the Princeton was providing overwatch and the Dubuque happened to be about 60 miles away and moved in position. Uh, the combination of the Navy and the Marine Corps team operating there integrated, launching the aircraft, getting them with eyes on target, having the Princeton and Overwatch, having the Marine snipers in the, in the Huey, having Marine snipers on the bridge wing of the Dubuque, having the raid force in the Naval Special Warfare boats moved in. Uh, it took them about 18 to 19 minutes from the time the first boat touched the side of the ship so they had recovered or captured the pirates. 
there was originally six pirates mentioned. Actually, they, they captured nine. There was three more on there than was what uh, was reported. Um, and so it had the ship, in effect, uh, secured for the pirate side in about uh, in less than 20 minutes. It took them five hours to get the ship's crew out of the Citadel. Uh, the Citadel, when they went to the Citadel, they locked and barred and welded shut doors as they went backwards. Uh, we, we cut through a number of bulkheads to get there, and we finally got to the final bulkhead with them. Uh, the ship's crew had a cell phone, and that's how they'd been talking to the world. The cell phone had died. So the Marines actually drilled a hole in the wall and uh, put a uh, U.S. flag uh, patch through that hole to prove to the ship's crew that, uh, yes, we were the good guys, uh, and got them out. And the ship's crew basically took back over control of their ship and proceeded on their way once the uh, the Marines and sailors had exfilled off of the uh, ship. Um, very fast, very target-specific uh, type mission. Um, and, of course, it did hit the news back here in the state. This is a capability that we were the proof of concept for with this ARGMU team. Uh, now all of the ARGMUs are going out with a opposed boarding capability to take down pirated ships. Uh, and this is a capability that's out there for the combatant commanders to, to task and use as required. And I'll stop right there and open it okay, up again. Thank you. thank you very much. Um, if yeah. either of you gentlemen ever get close enough to run the decks of the Constitution, let me know. I know some people there. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, Dale, you are next on the line. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you very much for taking your time. Dale Kissinger from MilitaryAvenue.com. Um, I'm curious about the uh, relief and, and your involvement in the Pakistani uh, flood relief and how many sorties and, and uh, cargo and, and supplies that you provided to the Pakistanis. Uh, hey, we, we could we could start at which end of the country and talk for days and days on that one. Uh, but I'll I'll tell you what I'll let Dale kick it off as the uh, set the stage, and then I'll talk through a couple things of what we did in Pakistan. Okay, so w what we did uh, we, we received uh, the national tasking while we're we're operating off the uh, coast of Africa, and uh, so when we got the, the word uh, around the fifth of, uh, of August, uh, we started and proceeded uh, north. Um, and as we uh, start to head north, uh, we needed to receive uh, some additional helicopters. Uh, so we linked up with uh, HMM-15 and received uh, three uh, additional 53s, and then we proceeded to uh, Karachi. Uh, as we uh, um, vectored to Karachi, uh, we were ready to launch inland, uh, uh, utilizing uh, 15 helicopters consisting of 53s and uh, 46s, and that was... Uh, you know, uh, uh, going forward to uh, uh, 700 nautical miles inland to Ghazi. Meanwhile, um, the Dubuque and uh, Pearl Harbor were supporting a theater security cooperation exercise, Eagle Mace, off of Kuwait, and they had to re-aggregate and, uh, re you know, get all their uh, folks and, and uh, gear back on board and so they can come out uh, to support the operation uh, as well. But as we quickly realized, uh, as time passed, um, we did not need the full uh, organic uh, ARG in supporting this mission. It was really specifically an ACE and Peleliu, uh support mission, and, uh, and Ozzy can take it from there, what they uh, did inland. Basically what we did is once we got up off the coast, we launched 253s. Uh, they AR'd or aero-fueled off of a KC-130J that I had from Africa. It had launched out of Africa. 
um, made the uh, run to Ghazi Air Base, which is in the base of the Himalayas, foothills of the Himalayas, uh, about 750 miles from the ship, uh, 650 miles feet drive. Longest uh, ship to objective move that we've done in the history of the Navy and the Marine Corps that we know of. Um, that was the operating base where we wound up with, at one point, we had about 19 helicopters in country um, and we're providing support for the Swat and Khorasan Valleys. Uh, to set the stage for this, the flood in Pakistan was two separate disasters. The, the northern half of the country was a flash flood tsunami type disaster. It literally scraped the sides of the mountains off. So it was isolated pockets of humanity, but on dry ground, they just could not get out. The roads were gone, the bridges were gone, the infrastructure was gone, some whole villages were gone. In the south, the second part of the flooding that we supported, it was slow inundation flooding, the, uh, an area about 150 miles wide by 190 miles long, um, that the Indus rerouted itself to an old road, uh, riverbed about 300 years ago. And here you had small pockets of humanity in small villages on hilltops and canal backs sticking out of the water. And these people had been uh, without food uh, and with the only water being the water around them for a month. Um, also, to set the stage, the temperatures, 120 degrees, 100% uh, humidity, uh, more bugs and bigger bugs than I've ever seen in my life, uh, snakes, uh, you name it, everything out there to deal with. And, uh, and really, this was the heart of Pakistan. Uh, between the helicopters flying and the C-130Js, I had two C-130Js assigned to the uh, MU, um, and we wound up operating them up out of Islamabad. Um, uh, we moved about 8,000 evacuees that we had pulled out of the, the mountains up in the north, and total we moved over 5 million pounds of relief aid uh, distributed out to the user. This is not just moved around the country, but distributed out to the physical user. Uh, the way we were doing this was flying eight to ten hours a day on the helicopters, uh, moving a, a ton and a half to five tons of uh, food out to uh, isolated pockets, and then basically handing that out. This was all coordinated and supported by World Food Program, but the Marines and sailors in there were working for um, ODRP, which is Office of Defense Representation Pakistan, and the Pakistan military. So we were in direct support of the Pakistan military, uh, but we were supporting everything with food from the World Food Program. This was going on for a, a better than two months, three-month period there, at the same time that we did the pirate takedown, and at the same time, while the Peleliu was off the coast of Pakistan, uh, we had six Harrier jump jets, the Sobel jets on the, uh, the ARG, and uh, with the MU there, we were providing close air support sorties up into, Pac into an Afghanistan, uh, on a rotating basis. So we were covering uh, just about every uh, military operation you can think of, all same way, same day, and uh, from multiple uh, locations. Uh, just one clarification so we're not uh, sending mixed signals here. Uh, when, when the colonel mentioned 19 helicopters, uh, we received uh, four additional uh, uh, 53s from 26MU. They flew in from uh, the United States into uh, Afghanistan, Afghanistan uh, and was and they were uh, built up and then they threw flew from there Basra to uh, Panakil. Yeah. You know, so uh, and that's where we get the total of uh, of 19. Uh, we actually flew in 15 from 15th Mu uh, and that uh, and they had tack count of the three 
uh, uh, 53 is from HMM 15. So of that 19, four of which came from 26 Mu. Back to y'all. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, Petty Officer Selby, uh, just yes. here, just just FYI, we're we're good on time um, up until you know the 10:45, 10:50 uh, time frame. So extra time as as, as needed, so all can uh, participate. Roger that, sir. Uh, we shouldn't have a problem doing that anyways by 10.30, um, but we'll see how it pans out, sir. And, uh, Beth, you were next on the line. Thank you, Beth, for joining us this morning. My question is in relationship to the, the, um, the international cooperation that you had throughout your deployment. Can you speak to some of the training exercises that you did with the, um, with the other nations involved? Uh, we we could we could start on the uh, the west coast and go uh, all the way around the world and back again on that one. Um, oh my gosh! Really, our first ones that we kicked off with was Indonesia and uh, Timor Leste. Um, Indonesia, we did a training with the Indonesian Marine Corps and uh, and also with some of their reconnaissance elements with one of our uh, platforms. And then with Timor Leste, we did everything from medical dental. Uh, interface with the locals all the way up to training with their uh, land forces and interface with their naval forces, uh, so pretty broad spectrum in Timor Leste, as well as with the uh, international security force footprint that's there in Timor Leste that's from uh, the UN. It's still operating in that area, uh, mostly Australians and Portuguese. Um, but in the, and then we also did uh, TSC events with Sri Lanka and say, Maldives. Let, let me uh, let me add on about the uh, the Timor Leste. One of the interesting things about Timor Leste, as you know, is it's a very young country. Um, their navy forces are uh, are are you know you know <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting because the the, the chief of naval operations uh, is really an infantry officer. Uh, they really didn't have a navy, so everything is being pulled from the army to 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 make up their navy. So they train their seamen through infantry school, and so we're we're talking about building capacity, building uh, experience uh, for these young nations. And so uh, a country like Timor Leste is probably more the far left end of the scale of the navies that we operated with these young, uh, inexperienced um, uh, sailors who are trying to gain. Uh, the, you know their sea experience to a more advanced uh, nations that we are dealing with when it comes to uh, naval expertise, such as Kuwait, uh, and you know. But even a, a country like Kuwait really doesn't have a large uh, navy. Go ahead, continue. The with that whole process there, one of the things that we really look at is um, with the ARGMU combined and with the uh, with an amphibious ship with in, in, Embark Marines on board. You get the ability to engage across the whole waterfront. So whether it's uh, infantry training uh, inland, uh, if you have the aircraft uh, there, you do with aviation training with their air force, with the navy piece of it, training with their either their coastal patrol folks, their coast guard, or their navy, depending on the country. Uh, and so we did that in every country that we had an opportunity to. And really, when you look at the big theater security cooperation events, uh, would be Indonesia, Timor Leste, uh, Maldives, Sri Lanka. Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Jordan, Yemen, um, as well as some with the Pakistanis, less with them more than in real world ops with them. Um, 
and Djibouti, and to some extent with the French Foreign Legion in Djibouti as well. So pretty broad spectrum interface at the theater security cooperation exercise. engagement exercise level. Roger that, and uh, on to Chuck Simmons. Uh, yes, Chuck Simmons from America's North Shore Journal. Uh, first a comment, Colonel, um, I'm thinking this might have been the first opposed boarding action for the Marines in, in like a century. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what the guys were saying. I think the last time we did this, we were actually climbing the uh, the mast probably on the Constitution to do that. <laughs> uh, I mean... It, it has been a while since we've done this kind of work. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about conditions in in Pakistan. Um, uh, been a long time since Americans were in the Swat Valley, I think. Um, how were you received by the Pakistanis, and were there any um, security incidents at all, or uh, was it a, a fairly smooth um, operation from the security point of view? Uh, I will tell you this on the Pakistanis. There, there's really three different groups that you think about when you talk about Pakistan. You have the Pakistani government, you have the Pakistani military, and then you have the 22 million people that was displaced by the flooding. Um, and those range from the very basic lowest poor dirt farmer all the way up to the, to the, uh, the rich as well. So it's really three different groups that, you, that we interface with. From a pure security standpoint, we were not concerned about security in Pakistan. The Pakistan military is very professional and were more concerned about something bad happening to an American than they were anything else around. So they provided security in depth everywhere we went. We were not concerned with the security piece. The Pakistani government, um, our interface with them was through the State Department as well as through ODRP. And we had very little interface directly with the Pakistani upper levels of government. But we deal, did deal with some of their uh, disaster relief uh, type uh, elements. Uh, very well received. They really, but really, they wanted us as truck drivers. I mean, we had helicopters. They wanted our helicopters, and they wanted our helicopters to deliver food. So it was more of a professional working relationship than it was anything else. The Pakistani military is kind of a, uh, an odd. Metric. When we first got there, they did not want Marines in their country. Uh, the Pakistani military was convinced that Marines are, were trained and equipped for only one reason, and that was to invade Pakistan. So they were very nervous about having Marines in their country, and, and more so having Marines in the country than having the U.S. Army in the country. Um, once we got there and they realized that we were not there to invade, we were actually there to help and to help as much as we could, uh, the comments from the Pakistani military from their lowest ranks all the way up to their generals was, uh, first they were very thankful, but the, the bigger piece was they were absolutely impressed that we would come in and work 14, 16 hour days in 120 degree heat for their people. And we did it because we were asked to do it. And so that was, uh, they were pretty stunned by that, pretty impressed by it. Now the Pakistani people, they could have cared less whether we were green men from Mars or whether we were uh, U.S. military or whoever. They were starving, and they needed to be. Uh, they needed relief, and so they were thankful every time we gave them something, every time we delivered food, every time we extracted uh, 
the evacuees out of those mountains, they were extremely thankful. From things like walking up to the helicopters with a platter with tea on it to uh, we had families that offered to uh, host us for dinner when they had no food. That's the level of thanks that we saw out there. Uh, so very gratifying mission, uh, very much accepted by the Pakistani people. Uh, but realizing the size of the country and the impact, um, we did what we could with the assets we had in theater. But the Pakistanis only let us bring 300 Marines and sailors in and the, uh, at that one point, the 19 helicopters. So it's, it was a pretty small footprint for the amount of foodstuffs and stuff that we actually moved in that time frame. All right, thank you. And, uh, Maggie, did you have any more questions? Nope, I'm busy writing. I'm tweeting. <laughs> Roger. Uh, Dale, how about you? Uh, yes, I do. One more quick one. Is there any particular mission that, while you were gone that, that just tore at the heartstrings that you would want to tell the American people about? Rescue Persons at Sea is probably one that would come to mind because it really didn't get the press. Uh, I tell you, when people don't realize, you know, when we had years ago, when we had the, the, the Haitian migration piece and we had fo folks trying to come over from Cuba, that, that made the news. Uh, and there's a little bit of news of people trying to get out of Africa and get across the Mediterranean into Italy and, and France and things like that. What a lot of people don't hear, because it really doesn't make the international press, is the amount of people who are trying to escape out of Somalia and Ethiopia and the Horn of Africa in general to places where they think that their economic opportunities are better. Now imagine you're trying to escape out of, of a country and you're trying to escape to Yemen. And that's where these people were bound. And there was 84 of them in a Dow that probably shouldn't have held more than 20. Um, and so the uh, desperation of the people in the Horn of Africa to try to better themselves uh, is a challenge. That whole area is also high piracy area. It's a huge trafficking area for everything from uh, narcotics to people to weapons to stolen goods, you name it. And, uh, and it's a lot of water space. It is a lot of land space. It's a lot of coastline. Uh, and you've got a country right in the middle of it that has, in effect, no functioning government and no functioning uh, security forces, which is Somalia. So uh, a story that, that kind of does pull at your heartstrings is you, you cannot fault them for trying to escape the conditions they were in. Um, but, and there's no real good answer out there for how to make it better for those people. Thank you, sir. And Beth, did you have another question? I'm good. Again, thank you both. Thank you. you Chuck, did you have another question? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask um, about a language barrier with those refugees, and also where were they finally um, disembarked? Uh, yeah, the uh, w you know, we have the ability to uh, get translators uh, to the ship. Uh, and so uh, we had we had that capability, uh, and and so uh, we were able to work through that. Um, as for a final, uh, when, we, when we finally transferred the rescue persons, uh, Kenya accepted these individuals, and um, along with the uh, the UN, and uh, they they were transferred in Mabasa on November sixth. Thank you. 
Well, I guess uh, we've gone around the table or around the, the horn uh, several times now. Uh, with that, I guess I'd like to to thank you both for your time today, and thank you to all the bloggers for your time and for your questions. Um, do uh, Colonel Osborne or Captain Fuller, do you have any closing comments? No, I don't. Well, well, this is uh, Captain Dale Fuller, and I just want to thank everyone to, uh, you know, give us the opportunity to tell our story. Uh, I think the, the sailors and Marines uh, really did a fantastic job out there. Uh, and what we pretty much uh, uh, demonstrated uh, during our seven months is the return on investment that this ARGMU team uh, gives our nation and, uh, and supporting our national security concerns. So uh, I think uh, that's the, uh, the, the belly button we need to push is that uh, you really get your bang for the buck uh, for this capability uh, that the taxpayers are paying for. And, I, you know, this is Colonel Osborne. I, I'll echo that. Uh, I tell you, the, this is not Afghanistan. It's not Iraq. It's, it's not in the front page of the news. But the security environment on the fringes and around the edges of the world out there uh, has indirect and direct influence on the security of the United States globally. And so uh, everything that we can do to facilitate uh, improving that security environment uh, is important. Uh, one of my old bosses used to say, you know, for every dollar you spend in peace is $10 in warfare. And uh, and that's kind of the way we looked at it on this deployment, was every opportunity we got to engage, uh, whether at the individual-to-individual level or at the unit-to-unit level or country-to-country level, uh, was was money well spent. And, uh, and having the opportunity to engage with so many different countries, as well as to do uh, real-world operations, um, validates the uh, uh, the effort that we put in for the training and the, and the preparation we did before we left. And so uh, we enjoy what we do. It, it's a fun job, uh, but there's a very busy world out there and there's a very insecure world out there. And so uh, there's plenty of work left to be done. Roger that, sir. Uh, thank you very much again to uh, the blogger participants and to Captain Fuller and Colonel Osborne. Uh, today's program will be available online at the bloggers link on dodlive.mil where you'll be able to access a story based on today's call, along with source documents such as this audio file and a print transcript. Again, thank you very much to everybody involved. This concludes today's event. Feel free to disconnect at this time.